From the Ron McKeefery Podcast Network, I'm Isaiah Castilleja, and this is Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. In this episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0, Coach Ringler talks to us about how growing up in a generation that was on the forefront of new technology started his passion of sports science, how old school strength conditioning and new school sports science can work together to create something special, and how some simple and cost-effective sports science modalities can make the biggest impact for your program. All this on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Team Builder is the premier strength and conditioning app for teams and private facilities. Used by more than 2,500 organizations around the world, performance coaches can write training programs online for athletes to access on their mobile app or on tablets in the weight room. You can even print individualized workout cards of your programs directly from their systems. Right now, when you start a 14-day trial, use promo code CHALK, that is promo code C-H-A-L-K, to access more than 70 strength and conditioning programs directly in your Team Builder account, including four sports science questionnaire templates. Today, coaches from around the country use Team Builder's built-in questionnaire module to create COVID-19 pre-screening questionnaires sent to athletes daily. We've been using Team Builder at MSU Denver for several years now and cannot recommend them enough. Hewitt and his staff go above and beyond to help create an outstanding user experience for all the teams they work with. I have yet to run into a type of periodization or programming format that the staff at Team Builder cannot tackle and create. From asking around, it is clear more college and high school strength coaches use Team Builder more than any other training program available. Go to teambuilder.com and check them out. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Today, I am joined by Coach Adam Ringler. He is currently the Assistant Director of Strength and Conditioning at the University of Colorado Boulder. Prior to this, he was an Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach at Wichita State. He also had a stop at Michigan State. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Thanks for inviting me on, man. Um, I'm excited to be here, humble to be here, and... uh, I'm just excited to have an opportunity to wrap with you this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Could you tell us a little bit about your role at the University of Colorado? Yeah, I mean, I think the role is is really a fun one. It's it's uh, it can be daunting sometimes, right? So I'll, I'll kind of dive in maybe from the sort of thirty thousand foot view, right? So assistant director of strength and conditioning, I work with two teams, our, our women's basketball team and our women's volleyball team. So those are the two teams that I, I have direct sort of programming responsibility. Classically, as you would sort of think about within the industry of strength conditioning, right? So this is uh, everything from strength, power, speed, flexibility, conditioning, being there pre-match, uh, pre-game warm-up to uh, pre-game or post-game, post-match cooldowns to being uh, it, it, all-encompassing in that aspect. Um, I'm fortunate enough to share a facility with an incredible colleague, Stephen Gohart, uh, who works with our men's basketball team. So I'm in that sort of just proximity of the men's team. So try to help and assist with uh, Steve and the sort of the direction of the Olympic strength conditioning department that we have at University of Colorado. Uh, So that can be, you know, the implementation of different technologies that can be helping to dive a little bit deeper into the data that he sees with his guys to help support his coaching. Um, and then there's the sort of the global piece of, you know, the work that we try to do here across all of our sports uh, at University of Colorado. And that's more of the sports science and data analytics, um, really trying to, you know, make sure that we we do a great job of benchmarking and profiling our student athletes from a physiological standpoint, but also making sure that we centralize a lot of that information into a system, into a database. So uh, long story short, it's it's sort of a, a dual role of being split between sports science and data analytics and 
classic strength and conditioning. Let's, let's pick things up. Let's put them down. Let's get stronger. Let's get faster, uh, type of role, but keeps me on my toes and it keeps it interesting. And it, it certainly keeps me busy as well. I, I think that's, that's awesome that you're able to do kind of the dual role. Now, where did the sports science come into play with you? Was it at Wichita state or was it at Michigan state or when did that, I guess like the, the passion to be like very well-versed and understanding of like the, the sports science side of things. Yeah. You know, like I, I think it predates my time at, at Wichita state. Right. Obviously I think it came to fruition at that time because, you know, this was talking early two thousands, uh, or like 2010. So, um, that era, uh, but, and that's when I think on the market, we started to see, so the, the flood of different technologies come into the performance space, right? Not that they didn't exist prior to that, but, you know, you started to see more of our cutting edge teams utilize wearable technologies. We started to see force plates become common practice across, um, um, force platforms across uh, our industry, right? Uh, we started the emergence of like HRV and, and sort of, um, you know, other technologies that really dive into monitoring the assessment and the readiness of student athletes or ath- professional athletes at that time. Um, but, you know, like at my current spot where I was at, like, like truth be told, like we just didn't have the budgetary sort of standpoint to go out and acquire these really um, sophisticated type of technologies. So like, you know, like I would be looking almost like a, a kid, uh, like I'm trying to think like the Christmas story, looking in through the glass of all the toys that you would love to play with, but just never have the opportunity to afford it. So like, honestly, I think that the passion came from the fact uh, that like, I, I, I grew up on computers, right? Like I grew up in this sort of quasi analog slash digital sort of era, right? Like I, I read an article the other day that talked about my generation being what they, what we're quoting as the geriatric uh, millennials. So like, technically I am a millennial, right? Like, but I'm the geriatric millennial because I was born in between 1990 and or 1980 and 1985. Right. So it's like, I, I can remember the time when we would, we didn't have a computer, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have these technologies, right. They weren't accessible. Um, so when my parents actually brought home, our first computer. And I was just like a a wee little kid, right? Like that was like every day that I woke up was like Christmas morning because like we could, we could fiddle with this thing, this, this uh, Apple computer. And then it was like when internet accessibility really, you know, allowed or became, I guess, even mainstream, like pre AOL days, right. When it was just like an internet connection and there was just bulletin boards, it was really like the internet was the wild, wild west. So it's like, I remember pre-internet days. Um, and I know like, you know, our, our older generation of strength coaches, absolutely. They remember that, but like to be sort of in this very period of time where like you're inquisitive and you're wanting to learn and you're just a sponge, right? Like to, to live in this wild, wild west of internet digital revolution really sort of stoked my passion for like, uh, just, just technology in general. And where does this thing go? Right. And then, you know, classically, I was, I was an athlete at that time. I, you know, a poor one at that. Um, so, you know, like rather than going to the libraries, you could go online and you can seek resources there. Now, like, I don't think people would even think of going to the libraries. They would seek digital resources first. Right. Like that's, that's just the world that we've lived in. It's, it's come, you know, the, the pendulum has swung that direction. So, you know, like I, Michigan State, my time as an intern and graduate assistant there, like, you know, worked with some incredible coaches, Ken Manny and, and Mike Vorkapich, Tommy Hoke, uh, Red Wakeham. I think, you know, two of those guys, Molly Munns, uh, Kenny Goodrich. I mean, the, the list goes on. Billy Burkhart, like all of these great people, uh, you know, like we just we didn't really have technologies at that time. Like we weren't equipping our athletes with catapult units or anything like that. We were just working hard. Um and then we, then I went to Michigan or uh, Wichita State, and like that's when you know that's when it started to pop off a little bit, and we started to try to get a little bit of things and resources, and and you know equipped our budget to be able to do that, and then 
Like I was, there's a little bit of maybe an imposter aspect to it in that, like I was reading about it. I was visiting other facilities to, to learn about their technologies. I couldn't implement it with our athletes, but I would try to like as, as best as I can take the resources that we had and use it in a meaningful way to get information or data, and then try to transform that data into information, into wisdom so that we can actually go into applied setting. So like at the later turn of my career from Wichita State to, um, uh, to University of Colorado, like this has been a blessing because again, like here I go, I'm, I'm that same five-year-old kid outside that, uh, that toy store looking through the glass. Like I, I have the luxury of being pretty well resourced here. So if it is force platforms or wearable technologies or motion capture systems, like, uh, or, you know, like velocity-based technologies, like we, we have the, the, the capability of utilizing them. So now it's like all of the getting my hands greasy and diving into the engine uh, and reading and learning and visiting that I did during my stint at uh, Wichita State. It's like, it's coming to fruition now that I can actually apply it um, in a way that actually helps our student athletes. No, I think that's a great story. And I'm right there with you. I read that same article. So I'm like, I'm definitely a geriatric millennial because I, I feel every bit of it. Um, and I, I think that's important because it, it shows that, you know, I remember when we didn't have computers and then kind of like every major jump in the nineties and two thousands, 2010s, you know, we were right there. Like, okay. Like I remember when our family first got a computer and how exciting it was. And then, you know, my first laptop going to college and all that stuff. So it definitely was, you know, stepping stones. And so where do you think we are now? I know you have a really solid culture there at Colorado, with you and Steve and, and you running the sports science and getting everything, but what do you think we are as an industry as a whole? Cause you are a unique individual where you have a tremendous coaching ability and you also have a tremendous, you know, sports science ability where a lot of times I think there might be misconception or just, I don't know. We're, we're pretty hard headed as, as a profession. And it's kind of like how strength coaches and ATs are, you don't, we don't need to be at each other's throat or like talking, talking smack, but we do sometimes. So there's the, there's the camp that's sports sciences, you know, what, tell me how that's going to make, you know, a better weight room culture and vice versa. Where do you think we are as a profession with the culture between sports science and strength conditioning? Yeah. You know, like, look, I think this is a, a, a heavy question to chew on, but it's a fun one, right? Because it, it, it sets us upon this path of looking at things in this sort of like binary fashion of like ones and zeros, like from a technological coding perspective, like you're either one, you're a zero, you're either a strength coach or you're either a sports scientist. You love to lift or you, you're a data nerd. Right. And I, I don't, see it that way. Right. Like I, I think earlier in my career, I, I was a, a strength coach with like a, a numbers love, right. Like or a numbers problem, a data sort of geek perspective. And you know, like, and then I don't know, like oh, among that continuum, I was probably like, also like, Oh, am I more of like a geek that likes to lift? I don't, I don't know where I fall. And then I'm like, you know what? It doesn't need to be that way. Right. Like we can embrace having um, championing intelligent program design. We can embrace analytics and saying like, listen, like we know the path to go from um, downtown Denver up to Boulder. What's the most accurate GPS way? You know, what highway we're going to hop on? I-25, we're going to jump on US-36. We're going to, you know, head west towards the mountains. The most accurate way of getting there. But that's not to say like, just because we're informed, just because we want to take an intelligent and, um, you know, like a, a smart strategic pathway to get from point A to point B, that we're not going to drive fast. It doesn't mean that we're not going to work hard. It doesn't mean that we're not going to hit detours and, and make adjustments. And I sometimes think like it becomes this like, whoa, I don't want to use sports science. Like sports science is for the geeks, man. Like we're going to all be about all hard work. We're going to instill culture. We're going to instill uh, love and passion and like get them to buy in. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do the same. Like, absolutely. That's like, that's the bottom of the pyramid, right? Like um, you got to have those things, right? You got to be able to invest in your athletes. You got to be able to understand 
not only that you invest in them, that that they feel your love for them as a as a person, as a human being before the athlete, right? Like before they're participating for whatever logo they're wearing on their shirt, like those things are important, right? Um, you know, instilling standards across your university or across your organization or your department of the way that we operate. What is the acceptable behavior in our family, in our department, in our unit, right? Like what will we accept as a leader? What won't we accept as a leader? Like all of these things are, are lessons like for me that I, I learned at Michigan state because I, I particularly think like Ken Danny, um, was an incredible and is an incredible human being and leader and strength coach. Um, and certainly one of our legends in our field, but like learn how to, to like instill that drive and the passion, but that doesn't mean that you can't take that and just, you know, apply a little bit of, uh, uh, information behind that. So like, you know, I, I, I sit down and I, and I chat and, you know, like that, that duality of these two sort of ends of our continuum is like, you know what, like, I, I think they're closer and can be married much more to the center. And look, I, I do think because of this, the way that like sports science has kind of came in here um, within our industry, I don't think it naturally occurred like within the United States. You know, when you look at um, professional organizations, you know, soccer, fitness, um, fitness coaches and, you know, Premier League and, and elsewhere, it's like, it seemed like there was a, a little bit of a um, gravitation to have separate roles. So you had your sports scientists or lead sports scientists, you had your fitness coach, you had your um, technical tactical coaches, and it was different. It was, you know, it was a different role. And, and what you've seen, I think in American and the States is that, you know, that role, just because of whatever it is, collegiate sort of uh, limitations or in professional sport, it's usually like strength and conditioning and sports science. Right. So at least that's starting, like we're in the cauldron in the mixing pot of like trying to like chew it up and, and mix it up a little bit and have a little bit more of that culture sort of passion and classical strength and conditioning being informed by data and the, the numbers and the research and what um, what technologies leveraging technologies can can do and what kind of information we can get from it. So I see it less as, you know, like these two continuums and more like listen, let's take the best of both worlds and, and let's not necessarily paint ourselves with one brush. Let's, let's paint with broad strokes and, and really make this little Rembrandt of a, of a painting. Well said, you know, it's definitely uh, artwork when you can get them both to work in concert and, and, you know, it's all about helping out the athlete. And if you can have a, like you said, intelligent and informed program, you can have both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's, all of it. And I think that's great. And you brought up uh, binary coding at the beginning of, of this question. And I know I've seen from your social media, you're learning, was it Python and, and you're learning coding. And could you talk a little bit about that? Cause uh, I, I'm honestly, like, I feel like I'm pretty well in the know of a few things and I know what Python is in general, but how's that helping you out in, in sports science? Cause you're taking on basically what I'd imagine they're doing in Silicon Valley, but you're doing it right there in, in, in Boulder with your, your squad. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a number of different things, I think. Um, so the, there's, there's a lot of open source softwares, right? So open source, just meaning that you know, community of uh, developers are contributing to a project in a sort of a nonprofit sort of way, right? So it's not like you have to buy it or like an open source community of developing different programming languages or coding um, um, languages. So I, right now, am way more focused in developing sort of my Python skills, which is, you know, a, a programming language. Uh, I think Usually in data science, you might hear people talk quite a bit about R um, and, and utilizing R to do some type of, you know, statistical modeling, um, visualization, analysis through that fashion. Uh, for me, like going down that rabbit hole of just understanding, like when you're starting to look at thousands and thousands of different 
uh, rows of information, um, data coming in, right? Like, and then the data is quite distributed or messy, right? Like, uh, I'll, I'll paint the analogy of let's say you you have this um, multi session type of aggregate reports from catapult sports, right? And you're looking at one particular athlete. So let's say across 365 days. Awesome. Let's say we even extrapolate that out across maybe four years or whatever. So you're talking about 1400, um, sort of sessions, if you will. And now you're saying, man, I got a lot of data right there, but I want to sort of, I want to combine that with maybe their wellness questionnaires and look at that. Or I wanted to send a look at that and look at, um, some, some statistics, uh, but I need to combine it with another, uh, maybe the team summary so that I can sort of compare, like, are they, you know, um, different this for whatever reasons, right? Like the several standard deviations away from the team average or team mean, um, and Microsoft Excel for me at this point in time, like when I was going prior to going down sort of this journey of, you know, torturing myself through, um, these lessons was, I, I just kept, it was almost like me banging my head against a wall because I was trying to ask this, this, I guess, Microsoft Excel to do something that I don't necessarily know if it was designed to do. So uh, I started then with R and did that for several years. Uh, be, you know, like if, if you're familiar with like Dunning-Kruger's effect, I, I feel like I got to a point where I was on the top of Mount Stupid, felt like I knew some things and then quickly fell off and realized there's so much more to know. Um, there's, there's a heavily, heavily influence, uh, upon me, of uh, just my family, because like my brother does work in Silicon Valley. He works for Google. Um, he's a, a programmer out there. So like different programming language, uh, with Ruby, but like, for me, I was starting to say like, well, you know, like I, I if I'm going to invest this time in learning about different programming and uh, coding applications, I would like to have something that might uh, be a little bit more, um, applicable for other industries as well. Right. So, um, Python has some incredible, um, modeling and machine learning capabilities with artificial intelligence, um, and, and just general modeling. Um, also I think there's a several different, um, libraries that, that you could build on that actually does some web applications as well. So if you did want to do some web design, um, which has always been something I've, I've sort of always done, um, you could do that too. So like, now how does that help you? I like the, the catapult example as well, but like anytime that you get into something like something as simple as saying, Hey, like we, we got some push data or we got some train heroic data, or we got some bridge, uh, bridge tracker data and the athletes names are slightly different, right? Like I remember the days of going through Excel um, you know, or again, 2010s, early of maybe 2008, like as a GA, you're just like combing through it and highlighting it, right? Like let's, let's work smarter, not necessarily harder and allow the computer to do the work for us, um, with, you know, a one to two lines of code that, you know, faster you can, you can, once you know it, you can write that one to two, three lines of code faster than you can compute a tweet. So like, do that. And then the work is done, right? Like I'm, I'm off to grab a coffee because this is done. But if you want to continue to highlight everything, that's awesome. You're like, you do you and bang your head against the wall. But like, you know, like that's where we can, we can harness technology. We can harness some of these programming languages for the betterment of what is otherwise like classical work that regardless of what industry strength conditioning or anything else, um, there's a component of using, uh, data science and, and programming for. No, I think that, that's a very well put, you know, work smarter, not harder. And, you know, there are ways to make the, have, have the computer help you out and, and make sense of everything and make it do what you want to do. And Excel, it's, it's a little bit better than Excel. So you just got to learn to like talk the language of the computer to help you out. And I think that's, I think that's great. And, I guess one more thing on, on the sports science thing is what is it like with the culture between the athlete and the, and the coach, like the sports coach that when you're doing sports science, you know, do you let your athletes know, you know, this Volt apparatus is going to test this is going to let me know what's going on. Or is it kind of like, how, how do you have, how have you integrated it into the culture of your teams? 
Yeah, yeah. No, look, I think carefully is the the first word that comes to mind. Carefully, um, there there's a lot of education that I think the sense of onus is on us as a practitioner to make sure that we explain why we're doing what we're doing. What benefit does they get out of it? Who's going to receive the information from it? Right? Like when we when we talk about data transference or sensitivity to this, right? Um, but more importantly, like what is it going to help us with, right? Like, and that doesn't need to be like, well, let me whip out the white paper. Let me show you this research article. It can be like, hey, this um, this weird contraption that we're going to jump on and we're going to do this Nordic curl on, we're going to put these uh, hooks. Those hooks are actually, you know, they're, they're, they're force sensors, right? Like we can actually get uniaxial force measurements from it. And this allows us to measure, you know, like your strength and your hamstrings when you do this Nordic. You know, the Nordic that we program all the time over here um, by our squat racks. Well, we're going to use this, this device to actually see like how strong is strong enough and what kind of asymmetries, what kind of like differences left to right on your hamstrings are you going to get? Because we know like the you know greater the asymmetry, the, the more likelihood that you might have a, a hamstring strain and, and then we lose you for the season or for a couple of weeks. And, and doesn't that suck? Like not, not being able to go out and compete with your teammates and, you know, I'm going to use this information or athletic trainer is going to use this information. Coach really doesn't care about it. Biggest thing that he wants is to make sure that you're healthy and you're, you're able for selection when we go out and we play on Friday. And, uh, and we're going to do this pretty repetitively. You know, we're going to do this about once a week or once every other week. And, and I'll make sure to communicate the results to you. I'll let you know if you're better. If you do get worse, I'll try to explain why you're getting worse a little bit. And, uh, and we'll go from there. You know, like it doesn't need to be this long, like, uh, monologue with an athlete. It can just be like, this is what it does. This is how I'm going to use it. We're going to do some programming changes. Oh, wow. Your left hamstrings way weaker. If, if the asymmetry is, 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 you know, um, astronomical, then, then maybe that's, that's information I'll communicate with our athletic trainer. We'll work as a team in tandem to, to attack it. Maybe it is just a musculoskeletal weakness aspect, or maybe it's a postural thing that I'm not going to be able to, to get hands on hips and really adjust. Like maybe that's the work of our PT or, um, our athletic trainer to like reposition you a little bit. So you have a better, um, relationship with that muscle tension. Um, so like it, it, it is, it starts with communication and it doesn't need to be science talk. It doesn't need to be sports science talk by any means. Like, and that's where, I guess maybe being a geriatric millennial allows me to sort of shift into like, I I can be a kid, right? Like, yeah, I'm 35, but like, I know, I I feel like I know the language of my athletes, right? And I I, I make a conscientious effort to be able to be relatable. Um, And a lot of it's just being dumb and, and putting myself out there and being vulnerable and being authentic of who I am, right? Like I'm okay to get laughed at. I do it all the time. I got a family that laughs at me. Like I'm used to it. So, um, so if I make some dumb TikTok joke, like totally get it. Right. But like, this is me trying to relate to a generation that's not my own and that's not being inauthentic. I think it's like, Hey man, I'm, I'm going to lean in and I, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know what interests you. I want to know about your shows. I want to know about uh, what, what you're reading or what you're, you know, spending time away from your sport. Why? So when I do need to explain something related to your athletics, I can put it in a language that, that you understand or that you like, or that's relatable to you. And I think that is to your earlier point about, you know, like, uh, you know, you got the culture building, you got your strength coach and you got your, your sports scientist. And that's like the hybrid role is just like understanding how to be relatable. It's, it's how to be, how to communicate and how to find commonality and common ground between the audience, right? Like the audience that's going to receive the information. Like we're all at one, at one point of uh, like every conversation we're trying to understand we're trying to communicate maybe we're trying to sell something a program an idea we're trying to um politic in some way like you know like okay i i agree with that or not agreeing with this or like let's make a decision in this way but like all of those whatever are our motives behind conversating or communicating as humans right like all of it could be better or at least improved by trying to put yourself in the frame of your audience 
what does this person, like the other person on the other side of this, what do they want out of this? And what is the best way that I can communicate this in a language that they understand? Or otherwise I'm speaking English and they, they, they don't know English and they speak French or they speak German or they're uh, Italian. And it's like, no wonder we're not communicating. Maybe we're not speaking the same language. So like sports science and strength conditioning, if we can get in the way that like we can speak the same language and then we put ourselves in the perspective of our student athletes of the language that they speak and communicate things, take really complex ideals and um, you know, like, and li- listen, there's no shortage of academics that love to make things more overly complex and sports scientists and researchers, right? Totally understand that. But how do you take that and distill it down and make the complex simple enough that somebody that doesn't care about it cares about it? And that's, that's, that's magic, I think. We'll be right back. Woodway is a company that has been designing and building treadmills and equipment for the long run since 1974. Each of their treadmills is designed with a revolutionary slat belt running surface, which is both lightweight and durable. It is specifically designed to absorb energy at the point of impact, eliminating harmful shock to joints and connective tissues. 100% of the NFL, NBA, and MLB teams and 60% of NHL teams utilize Woodway products to optimize their training. Woodway's curved treadmill was released in 2009 and boasts a completely self-powered manual training experience that does not require any electricity. This unique piece of equipment allows athletes to run at any pace they choose and burn up to 30% more calories than the regular treadmill. Other unique offerings from Woodway include the Curve Trainer, Curve XL, Forefront, and Pro Treadmills. Each treadmill offers features that are fit for every athlete. The silent and energy efficient product from Woodway has resulted in 50% electricity savings for owners. If you're looking for equipment that is built to last and will improve and provide each of your athletes an experience like no other, check out Woodway today at woodway.com. Yeah, well said. I think that's you're hitting all the nails on the head, and you're just showing people what you know the modern, like you said, the hybrid, you know, between the strength coach and the sports science, and what it could really look like when you know you do it right. It's not all strength, and it's not all sports science. It's a it's a combination of both, and then you can just really can find the common ground and get things rolling between all your athletes and the coaches and, you know, whatever their strength coaches you're, you're working with and everything else. And I, I I'd have to ask, cause I have a feeling if I don't ask, I know a lot of people on the Google machine and the, the interwebs <laughs> and this stuff are going to get at me. So what are some of the technologies that you're using right now that you find that, you know, are, are working for you guys? Yeah. I mean, look, I think there's, there's a number and I'll, I'll try to like bucket them in some respects. Right. So when it comes to quantifying, um, outputs, right. Like the, the, the load on the human body, whatever that might be, right. You could be a runner, you could be a track star, a uh, football player, basketball, doesn't matter. Right. Uh, um, it does, but it really doesn't matter in this analogy, right? Like we want to know what, what we're getting, right. Like that's, that's, big, right? Like we want to know the outputs of what our athletes are doing. So a type of wearable technology allows for that, right? Like we can see the accelerations, we can see the change directions, we can see the forces on the bodies, we can see the high speed running or velocities, the player load, the total distance, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's what we're, we're getting, right? So, you know, think of the, let's say like we go and I'm, you see me and I'm driving off the Tesla lot and you're like, dang, you know, model three, Adam, like that's what you're driving. Right. Um, which I'm not, that's not me. <laughs> uh, any strength coach would know that. Um, I, I say that because we want to quantify what they're doing. Right. And then in, in addition though, we want to better understand what, what we individually paid for that. Right. Like, because if you're driving off with a model three and you paid 5k for it and I paid 50k for it, let's just say like, I want your deal, man, like an incredible deal. And that lends us ourselves to like, we need to be able to measure our internal load as well. Right. What did we, what was cost? What did we pay to get that same output? And that's, 
that's heart rate, right? Like, so having some type of heart rate monitoring to capture internal load um, is important. So like Polar Team Pro is an incredible example of that. Um, but there's companies like First Beat that also does, you know, incredible heart rate monitoring as well. Um, the external load would be classically things like we use Catapult Sports at University of Colorado, but, you know, there's there's vendors like VX and um, Stat Sports and, and a whole host of other sort of um, external load monitoring technologies, right? Uh, in addition to that, so like now we, we can better understand the demands of the game, which is the start of it. Like, what are we getting, i.e. the Tesla, and what did we cost? Um, to, to buy that, right? The heart rate monitoring. Um, and that that allows us to better prepare our athletes. That allows us to objectively measure what we're doing at practice, during games, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's one component of it. But like now we got to train them for that. So we we utilize a lot of VOD performance technologies. So we I, in, earlier in here, I talked a little bit about the Nordboard example, which we're fortunate enough to use. Um, we, so again, at, uh, a device that allows us to do an, a, several different Nordic variations and measure hamstring, posterior chain strength, um, and symmetry across both of those. Um, so it's like a dual system with a uniaxial sort of uh, um, load cell in it. And then we we utilize the force frame, which is classically was called the groin bar, but there's a lot more um sort of application to it than just testing groin strength. So we can test shoulder strength, um, internal, external range uh, strength in each direction for, for a hitting population or throwing population things as far as like, of course, if you know, Steve and I, like we're going to get underneath it and bench press it because why not? Let's, let's see what arms weaker. So we can do more dumbbell presses on that side. Um, so we, we've used that. Like we, I, I, somewhere in the show, I talked a little bit of like, a motion capture system. So we're fortunate enough to partner with a company called Kitman Labs. They are a, a technology company actually out of Ireland, but has have offices in um, Silicon Valley and they are an, an athlete optimization system. Um, so it's a classical AMS, like you might think of, you know, in Boulder, Colorado, the headquarters of Smarterbase, right? Like, so another AMS company. Um, and this acts as our sort of analytics platform or our engine, right? So it allows our athletes to do things like morning wellness questionnaires, uh, RPE collection, right? Form assessments so that we can push out different forms to our athletes, post-game forms or mental health and, and sort of questionnaires that we might do through our um, psychological health and performance department. So uh, there's a number of different applications from the AMS that we use, but that allows us to have all these different data streams be able to aggregate in one system, right? So we talked about using Python and R to be able to um, aggregate that information and consolidate it and run analytics. Well, you know, like that's that's what Kitman Labs allows us to do so that we can still be coaches. We can still go and, and be on the road with our athletes and invest in our athletes as well. So it's a, a partnership that certainly helps us out quite a bit. Um, but the motion capture system is through Kitman. So again, our athletes, if you think of, um, it's, it's not necessarily like Dari, but you have a camera system and you go through a series of functional movement patterns, right? Like an overhead squat or a forward lunge, very like FMS type of sort of movement positions that one might be in, but instead of subjectively measuring like, oh, that was a, that was a three or the active straight leg raise was a, was a two on the right. Like this, this allows us to just get pure joint ranges of motions through the camera. So we can see, wow, like then the knee flexion was, you know, 65 degrees, but on the, on the left knee was actually 52. And that's, you know, that athletes normally at a 62. So that's a standard deviation decrease. So like maybe I should intervene with them. Right. Um, so we use that. And then I think the biggest to that maybe affect our day-to-day -day outside of the uh, the monitoring and, and the wearable technologies is like we, we do have a series of couple force plates across our campus. Um, so again, like through our partnership with VOD as well, like we'll utilize um, force decks. We'll do that nearly on a daily basis. Um, it's not always the same movement. Sometimes it's a, um, it's a drop jump on some days, depending on where our next game is. 
Sometimes it's a mid thigh or an isometric mid thigh pull. And other times it's just a, your classic hands on hips counter movement jump. And we repetitively do that. We start to look at sort of deviations away from the athlete's norm, especially like when it comes to in season. And we want to make sure like as best as possible, like homeostasis or like there's no uh, gigantic peaks or, uh, or troughs like in our readiness, if you will. If anything, we want it to be peak when we're ready to go out and, co- and perform. But like, so longitudinally, we'll make sure like we're doing well and that we're getting stronger or we're adding a little bit more power per um, kg of body weight or we're affecting our impulse. But like, like metric aside, like we're we're using it to monitor readiness on a daily basis and then longitudinally make sure like our athletes are are adapting to the stressors that we're programming um, on a uh, seasonal basis as well. And then, you know, like I'd be remiss if I didn't say, uh, like we, we use the heck out of, uh, our push bands in our weight room. Like, you know, I know a lot of facilities have like gym awares or elite forms. Absolutely. Like awesome. Like we, we ran some tendos, which were non-digital, right? Like the old school days of like clipboard in hand, write it down, crunch the numbers afterwards, but like to have any type of digital system that allows it to go to some type of platform is awesome. So that, you know, now you, you have, again, all that information coming into one spot, you can program your, you know, like depending on, as you're a strength coach, like if you're doing a max effort day or a dynamic effort day, and you're, you're using 60, 65% of your load or accommodating resistance, like you can just be like, listen, we're going to stay in this range. If you drop below 0.8, I want you to take some weight off the bar, take fives off on each side. If you get over 1.1, I want you to add five pounds to the bar. Let's rock and roll. We got 12 sets, you know, like, and we can kind of get after it through uh, the velocity-based tra- sort of training methodologies that, you know, incredible people like Louis Simmons and Brian Mann and Dan Baker or Andy Baker, Dan Baker um, have, have, you know, really sort of championed through our industry. So like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good that comes from it, but like, I, if, if you're listening to this, my plea was, um, you know, I've been at Colorado, I'll be going on my fifth year here shortly. Um, in, in the way that I look at seasons and not necessarily years, I suppose, um, that I, you know, I spent 10 years of my career not having any of these resources, right? Like, so, you know, if you're like, dang, man, like I don't have VBT, I don't have force plates. I don't, I don't have this like Nordic hamstring, uh, Nord board that Adam's talking about. It's like, yeah, man, I didn't have that stuff too. You know, like, but at Wichita state, I was trying to figure out ways like, okay, I got a contact mat. Okay. I'm going to use that for monitoring readiness. Uh, uh, how do I monitor ready? Like I got this application of finger tap tests. I, I would whip out my Android phone. It was probably like the size of a brick. It was like huge. It was like at that time. Right. And we're going to, every athlete as they're walking in is going to do this finger tap test to assess central nervous system readiness or like the days of like, I'm just going to have them write down RPEs on a clipboard. Um, I didn't, I don't need a digital app for that. So like my advice is like in this aspect, you don't need to have it all. Um, but I do think you should be inquisitive, inquisitive enough to try to understand the components of it. Get your hands greasy, get your hands dirty like dig in the engine a little bit, see if you can build it by yourself. Um, because boy, it makes you way more appreciative when you do have those resources later down the road of like, now you've, you, you've dug through the engine, you've screwed the bolts on, you've, you've got the, the, the flywheel installed. Like it just makes you appreciate it way much more when you built it before, um, on a sort of shoestring budget. Mm, mm. No, that's, uh, you have a really good way of laying it all out there because it wasn't just the list of all the technology you're here's the list of what we're trying to measure. And then here's that happens to be the technology we're using it. And then I do like how you, uh, you know, you showed what you use before you, you had all that, the good, the good tech, you know, so you can show you it's possible to get these numbers. If you really just try hard and, and just look into it and, and, find there's easy ways to go about finding this, this information. Uh, It might just take a little bit of work uh, on, on the coach's end. And I think that's great. I think that's think of 
think of the days of sports scientists back in the early 80s, right? Like they were not using wearable technologies. They were taking the game film, going back to their office and literally counting runs, right? Accelerations. Ooh, that was fast. Okay. Check mark that down. Oh, wow. Like that athlete, they would be like, all right, oh man, Isaiah's up. Let's, let's watch his game film. Let's see how, how long he uh, traveled on the soccer pitch. Right. And they would just literally count like the distance manually. But like you say that to a strength coach these days, they'd be like, oh man, way too much work. Can't do that. So it's like, it doesn't need to be as sophisticated as like, well, I don't have catapult sports. I can't monitor it. Like, no, it's not that you can't, it's that you don't want to. Um, so pick one metric or one thing like, yeah, contact Matt can't get, um, you know, like dual sort of, uh, you know, uh, multi-limb sort of force assessments, but it does give you, you know, it can give you contact time, right. From a drop jump, it gives you height. So you can get an RSI reactive strength index out of it. And like gives you height and it gives you something. And that's, I, that's sports science to me that that's like, doesn't need to be super sophisticated. If you're trying to use information and data and a scientific method to answer questions that you might have for your student athletes, that's, that's sports science. And whether it's with, you know, technologies that cost $50,000 or technologies that cost $50, like you can still apply the scientific method to, um, despite the cost that, um, the, the devices or technologies cost. For sure. No, that's, uh, somewhere there is a science teacher from high school saying, I I told you, so the scientific method, you're still going to use it down the line. I think that's good. And I just got a a few more questions that would be very respectful of your time, but you know, you've been lucky enough to be in our, our, in our profession a while and, not have a lot of different places because you had staying power you it's i mean you know how volatile our our profession can be and you know coaches jumping around especially when they're younger and trying to figure things out you know what do you think is the main reason for your success is of staying power and i guess we can roll that into you know what's some advice you'd have for the younger coach that's just finishing up a GA or a fellowship or an internship. And they're in the the grind stage of what we do before they can become established. You know, what's some advice you'd give to them? Yeah. Um, boy, that's again, it, it's so multifactorial, but I'll try to articulate it in some succinct way here. Uh, my advice, at least now I'll start memento sort of, um, style backwards and I'll work forwards to this is uh very Tarantino here uh to as an intern or a fellow or you know a junior coach coming out is it you got to really try to deliver as much value as you can right and I've said that on other shows I continue to say it on my own and what value might be might be different for every organization right? And what they say that they value might not be what they actually value, right? So that takes a level of not necessarily like sophistication, yeah, in the classical sense, but like really sort of digging into understanding, like they say they value these things, but what do they really value? And when you have identified that, that's what you should double down on, right? That is for some organizations, it might be that they value like super hard work or long hours or delivering on projects or your investment into your student athletes or being there or whatever it might be, or championing the coach's vision or message or championing the athletic department's uh, mission or message. Like, but when you do identify that as a junior coach, I think you should, you should lean into that and make sure that you are as, as long as it's authentic to what you believe, like don't, don't ever go against your own beliefs, right? Like I know it's a competitive industry. Um, and this field is oversaturated at best with strength coaches that will continue to undercut our industry for lower and lower and lower wages until we're all doing this for free. Um, so don't, don't sacrifice your personal self-worth or who you are as a person so that you can get your next job 
but like recognizing the competitive nature of it. Like if your organization or your supervisor values some type of thing, lean into that. Right. And that will help you at least get maybe your next opportunity. Um, and that, that might be your first full-time job, right. Or that could be your, your current position, wherever you might be at. And then from there, I would say almost the same thing when it comes to staying power, it's, it's really, again, it's identifying what, what they value delivering on that organizationally and recognizing that the bullseye is going to change probably every year. So there's a level of agility that you need as a coach to be nimble, to identify the moving targets, um, and then making sure that, uh, that you try to actually hit those targets. I I remember there was uh, several times, like I would call one of my mentors, Red Wakeham, um, and I would talk and, you know, like as, as anybody, I would, I would hope that you have a network of people that you can lean on during tough times or good times or whatever you can call them and, and be excited about something or call and like be frustrated about something. And, you know, like for, for him, a lot of the advice that was provided to me was just like, it was almost like there was going to be attrition in this industry, in this job, attrition of not just personnel and and people, but attrition of energy towards uh, a current project or something. So like recognize if you have the persistence to stay in the fight, right? Like I think Ken Manny came on and talked about having um, bloody knuckles, right? I think his thing was like bloody knuckles and um, fire in your heart. Um, But like, I look at that of like, if you can just have persistence and stay the course and continue to find things that excite you and be nimble enough to hit different organizational targets, I think you'll have more staying power. Like you'll have more longevity. But, you know, as I was thinking about this just now, the the last little heat of caution that I would advise people to recognize and I warn, but then recognize and lean into would be that if, if you've been coaching and you've been in this industry, like the decade and a half or so at this point, um, but you're still doing the same things from the years before, like I, while that's probably not best for your student athletes or the people that you service, um, it's also not good for you. It's not good for you to challenge yourself into new ways. I think of like, look at the Rolling Stones or look at any artist that's been around forever, right? Um, Mick Jagger, Madonna, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the millennials are like, who? Um, <laughs> which is fine, that's fine. But like, these, yeah. are, these are bands or these are artists that reinvent themselves. And mm-hmm. maybe they reinvent a sound uh, for themselves. But like, a lot of our own problems, I think sometimes comes that we just, we just get bored or we get complacent. So like if you're at a position, you're fortunate enough to be at a position for several years, right? Like seven years at, at Wichita state, it's like, okay, from that first two years, you're trying to build a program. The next two years, how do you, how do you take that program and elevate it to somewhere different? Right. And then you get there and you're on your own sort of like, you're looking down you're like, man, like what a great, what a, you know, I built this thing up. We got an internship program that's robust. We're getting like more funding than we have. What do you do then? What do you do on top? On top? How do you pivot? How do you change? How do you innovate when you think that there's no other thing? Not necessarily just for the sake of your program, but for the sake of the practitioner to continue to keep you excited because you should wake up the next day and say, time to get to work. You know, like time to, I want to attack this coding thing. I want to learn about Python. I want to learn about some new technology. I want to learn about how I can improve my, my buy-in with my athletes. I want to invest in, in, you know, these four athletes this semester and really get to know them. Um, because that will, that will drive you or otherwise you'll wake up and you'll do what you hear, you know, at any conference, you'll hear people gripe and moan about, oh God, we're not getting paid enough. And we're not getting, you know, like not being respected enough. And it's like, that's, that's you waking up and, and literally death by a thousand cuts because we are our own worst enemies sometimes. So like, we got to change it. The onus is on us. And if we all wake up and challenge our own selves, 
I think we'll all come and we'll be like, you know, like I'm learning about this. I'm learning about that. What are you learning about? This is awesome. Like, how are you doing that? And now, now we're excited about the direction of our industry, but we're also motivated to keep coming in every day and, and reinvent ourselves. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's awesome. It's always good to hear, you know, not just a, the advice for the younger coaches, you know, to find that value, but also just be like reinvent, you know, reinvent it doesn't have to be a lot, but you know, each year look to something that we can change, you know, and evolve for the betterment of athletes and coaches and, and everybody else. I think that's really good advice to how to, how to stay in the game and, you know, and of course, bloody knuckles, you know, it's just, you know, be ready to fight. It's going to take some fighting because this not an easy profession, no matter how you go about it. I think that that's some awesome advice. And, uh, and speaking of what is next in this next year coming up strength conditioning that you're kind of excited or you're looking into. And, you know, that's, that's tough. Uh, I, there's a little bit, you know, I, I could go down the rabbit hole of different technologies. Um, you know, I feel like I've been technology centric a lot. And so not to, not to paint myself into a corner of that. Um, you know, like I still think that, you know, with second spectrum, um, and some of these camera systems that are popularized in like the NBA rather than actual like wearable technologies that we output, um, and just looking at sort of positional sort of relationships with athletes. If you think of like this moving grid of the five athletes on the floor um, and sort of how the ball is distributed from, you know, assist to score type of networking and the the positional sort of X, Y, Z sort of coordinates that you might see. Um, I think that's an area that's still um, it's, it's certainly being explored a lot within professional sports, right? Like you take your five athletes and you sub one out and you put somebody else in, how does that one athlete change the entire relationship of the distribution of the ball or the relationship between all of those nodes in that moving network? And then go ahead and add five other opponents that's trying to actually stop you from uh, executing what you want to do. Um, so that's an area that's exciting. Um, not necessarily is, is easy to get because there's it's cost prohibitive from some of these cameras, but, you know, as I start to play with more like, um, coordinate positioning sort of, uh, data sets through Python, that's, that's something I'm looking at into. Um, and it's certainly been something that like the, the NBA hackathon type of like data nerd conventions that we all have, um, is really sort of diving a lot more into, um, so technological sort of programming coding aside, like what am I really sort of excited about with our industry? I, you know, I, I, I think we're, we're starting to see, and I hope this isn't like a, um, too vague, but like just a return back to, we got a little, I, I feel like we got a little bit of campy with, um, you know, the, how can we take what we have or this rack or this whatever and really just trick it out like it was uh, like MTV Pimp My Ride. Um, also, nobody probably knows that anymore. But like, we're starting to get back to like, what are the the beauties and the basics, right? And what are some of the basics? And but how do we make those basics even more more like elegant in some respects? So like, I do think that there's vendors out there that's taking. Um, taking the hardware, i.e. the dumbbells, the soft, uh, the, the, the racks or whatever, and really just started stripping it back down to being like, what is the most elegant aspect of this? And how can we refine that and bring the most absolute premium product out there? So now there's, there's something for everybody in this podcast, right? Like the, 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 um, equipment manufacturers are like, yes, we're represented. Um, but no, like I, I, you know, I, there's, it's a little bit of like the pendulum is always going to swing. It's our job to make sure that we are a addressing what we need organizationally, but also when we do recognize that it's on one direction to push it back towards the center. So rather than all the toys and all the crazy stuff, like what do we need to get our jobs done? 
what would the generation of strength coaches in the eighties, right? The Nebraska era, the big 10, like what would these guys, the, the cradle of coaches and, you know, Miami, Ohio, and all these places, like what would, what would those guys say if they walked into your building? Like, do you, do you got the basics covered and would they be proud of it? And would, you know, like, would the legends of our field, like, are we taking care of those things? Or are we just constantly buying them? So like, there's a big onus for me. It's like, what am I excited? I don't know. Just get back to our roots a little bit. And just like remembering the glory days. Oh man, I sound old now. Remembering the glory days of strength conditioning, taking care of the equipment that we have. Like this is very, um, Zen and the art of like motorcycle maintenance, but like just getting the wrenches out and, and greasing up the equipment and like maintaining it. There's a sense of like, Oh man, you know, like, I don't know. So that's, that's random aside, but like, that's what I'm excited about is just kind of getting back to basics in some respects. No, absolutely. That's uh well said, you know, I'll, you're, you're well-versed. Not only do you get all the tech, but you know, the, the, bar, the simple barbell can be made elegant and let's, let's get back to it. Um, what's some social media or what's the best way if our listeners wanted to see what you got going on and, uh, and, and see everything you're doing, what's the best way they can find you? Um, yeah. So I think the the easiest way, if you are, you know, across the country or, or international or anything like that is through my social media handle. So it's at Adam Ringler, same name, first name, last name, um, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I, I write occasionally. That's something I, I would love to do more long form writing, um, on my website. And that's also adamringler.com. And then, but most importantly, like, look, a 280 character tweet will give you a snapshot, right? Like, um, of, uh, an idea of a program or whatever. Right. And same with Instagram, like, yeah, you can record some videos or a reel or IGTV. That's awesome. Right. But like the biggest thing I'd encourage people to do is, uh, just pick up the phone call. Um, and if you have the, the capability of coming out to Colorado, not a bad place to vacation, right. Like make a weekend of it, right. Like, you don't you have to spend all weekend with me, but like, uh, go to the mountains, right. Take your family out here. Um, and then spend an afternoon with us at, uh, at university of Colorado. And we'd love to invite you in now that things are starting to open up a little bit better and, you know, all safety precautions, um, followed, like we'd love to show you around and, and tell you about our program. And I, I think that that sort of breaking of bread uh, with visitors is important with our industry. Like we need to get out of our, our little own 10 by 10 cell and actually start visiting and, and seeing people because that's how you learn more. That's how you experience culture. Like we talked about earlier in the show, that's how you learn about new technologies is just going out and asking questions and, and being vulnerable and not being afraid to, to look dumb and look I'll I'll ask more questions of you probably if you were to come out here than you were to ask of us. So I just would, uh, I'd encourage yeah If you, if you're around the border, Colorado area, Denver area, like obviously go visit you first, right? Like, cause you're doing incredible things, um, within your program and, and I'm envious of, of what you're doing down there. And then, you know, come up and make a, make a whole Colorado field trip out of it from, from Metro to UC to CSU. That's, that's the one thing about our industry. We're no shortage of wanting to share and show our work. So I'd encourage, uh, encourage anybody listening to do that. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I just want to say, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast. I know I've been trying, we've been both very busy and trying to get this uh, dialed in and, and down, but you know, you're, you're a credible coach. You got all the, smarts and everything uh, for the sports science. And I, I think it's really important you do it in a way where it doesn't come off as intimidating. Cause I know for a lot of coaches, if they don't, if they just take the sports science for granted, starting up sports science can be a little intimidating, but you know, you, you break it down and make it attainable. So I think that's important. So thank you for that. And, and, and the, the great advice and, you know, Good luck to you. Have, have a good summer. And you know, we'll be reaching out here again here shortly. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. This episode is brought to you by Play. Play is a company that I've personally been working with from the start. Everyone at Play works to help strength coaches innovate and find solutions for our profession. From flooring, weight room equipment, outdoor spaces, and everything in between, Play will collaborate with you to find what you need. 
They work with everyone from professional teams to high schools, and they've always made me feel important and a part of the Play family. Refuse second best with Play. Find them at play.us and let them know Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0 sent you. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you to our great guests for taking the time to share their experiences. Thank you to Play and Team Builder for being great companies that help our profession. And most importantly, thank you, the listeners. Please find us on social media at Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Find our show notes on wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a rating, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to say hi. It's great to hear from coaches from around the country. Talk to you all next week on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0.